0: Welcome back to the Field Trial Lifestyle Podcast. I am Jeremy, one of your hosts. I hope you're all doing well. We're releasing this episode in mid-September, which is a really exciting time in the bird dog world. Trial season is starting in many parts of the country and also hunting season has also started. So I'm seeing lots of reports on Facebook and Instagram about people making great contact with wild birds and people having successful results in trials. And so yeah, I, it's just a good time to have a bird dog. This week, we're releasing our very first interview with Terry Ann Fernando. Terry Ann runs the Accidental Bird Dog blog, and you can find her on Instagram if you search Accidental Bird Dog. Terry Ann has a lot to say about a few different games that she's played with her dog. She's done field trials, she's done navd events, she's done hunt tests. She's very thoughtful about this, and if you check out the blog, you'll see that she really has a nice way of breaking down complicated things or kind of mysterious parts of. All these sports in ways that are really accessible to newcomers, and she had, you know, a lot to contribute to our conversation. So we really appreciated her time, and hope you enjoy the interview. Thanks. Here it is.
1: So my name is Terri M. Fernando. I live in Raleigh, North Carolina, and I have a eight and he- eight and a half year old Beagle named Zara, who's my field trial dog, and I also have a five year old Rhodesian Ridgeback named Columbo, who does not hunt or do field trials. <laughs>
0: Great. And so this time of year, what are you doing with your with your dog, your field trial dog?
1: So this summer specifically uh, is a little bit different because I'm actually training for the NAVDA Invitational, which is the North American Versatile Hunting Dog Association. Um, the Invitational is their kind of premier hunt test. It's held once a year. This year it's in New Mexico, and uh, we qualified for it last year. So we're going to be doing that in September. And once that's done, we will be jumping back into field trials in October, hopefully. So a lot of the training overlaps, but my very focused training right now is on that. Um, but I'm still doing some stuff to work towards field trials in the fall, mostly keeping up Zara's endurance and running her and keeping up her steadiness on birds.
0: In my sort of like information gathering, you know, people say things like, you know, that's a NAVDA dog, that's a test dog, or that's a field trial dog. But as I spend Mm -hmm. more time sort of chatting with people, you see that you can do both. I think the caveat is that it's hard to train for both at the same time. And it seems like you did a bit more of the, you know, the hunt test and the NAVDA stuff, and then you sort of shifted. But yeah, it, it seems like if someone really is set on doing both that you can, like there, that is possible.
1: Yes. I mean it's I I have been surprised how well she has adapted to field trials after doing navda and hunt tests. But I mean, I'm just one example, but yes, you a hundred percent can do both. I know other people that have done it too. Um I think generally people will say sometimes it can be easier to do field trials first and then try to do like a master hunter title or navda, because then you can it's easier to sometimes rein them in than push them out. Um I did it the opposite, <laughs> so it can be done, um, but it can be more work too. Um, so yeah, I think it d- depends on the dog a little bit, sure. but, and genetics, um, Zara is from field trial lines, so I'm sure that helps her be successful in field trials as well.
0: How far will you travel to trials and hunt tests? Like, I feel like everyone has kind of a range where it's like, I'm not going more than X number of hours, mm-hmm. X number of hours. How far have you gone <laughs> for trials?
1: So I haven't, I've only really had, you know, a little bit of more than one season of trials, but the farthest I have gone to Florida now uh, from North Carolina, that was about seven and a half hours. Mm. However, that was in conjunction with my husband and I actually spent a couple of weeks down in Florida um, this winter. So we rented a place down there for a bit. And then I, you know, knew I was going to go to some trials down there. So that wasn't like, you know, a weekend. If it's a weekend. Usually I'd say for the most part, three, three and a half is kind of my limit. Generally, um, I will consider more like a farther, maybe a six hour drive. For example, um, my parents live in Maryland and there's a trial about an hour from them in Pennsylvania, which I haven't gone to. But, you know, I would probably drive five hours to their house, stay with them for the weekend and then travel back and forth to that trial, which is an hour away. So that's about six hours from my house.
0: And you you mentioned that you're going to New Mexico for the other Invitational. How are you arranging that? Because that's, that's more than three. I'm
2: just laughing because I've been following along with all of your, uh, you know, testing with the RV thing. and the... Oh, yes. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, I am curious. Yeah. So,
1: the original plan was, the very original plan was my husband wanted to rent it rent a class a rv and drive that across the country um but for various reasons that was not going to work um expense not having a smaller car to drive etc so then we got the idea of towing a small camper behind our suv um but we did a test run of that in june and it just it's with the cost of gas right now um towing that camper drops your miles per gallon by half And since it's a 25 hour drive out there, um, the cost of running the camper plus the gas, uh, was going to be too much. And then it was just a lot of setup and takedown. And, um, we just decided it was going to be, you know, not worth it. So right now the plan is just to drive my SUV, stay in Airbnb and hotels on the way out. And we're going to make about, take about two weeks total, um, stop along the way and see some stuff and we'll be out in new Mexico for about five days so it'll be it'll be a pretty significant trip
0: (laughs) yeah we just did a similar thing um and I drove with our dog from North Carolina back to California and oh
2: wow
0: yeah (laughs) yeah it was it was a lot it was a lot and then I dropped him in Missouri and then I went to pick him up and we drove back the other way and we, I think we went through the same list of ideas that you did, but I think, you know, like you're saying, the expense piece to drive one of those gigantic mm-hmm. things around. And also, you know, we had talked about, you know, maybe we'll get a camper and it'll be great because we can take it someplace and sort of camp. But something that mm-hmm. th- that we read or heard was essentially like, if that's your only vehicle and you need to go to the gas station or you need to go to the grocery right. store, you have to, t- you're essentially picking up your campsite and leaving And so when you do that, it just – yeah, it can just get challenging and kind of tedious after a while if you don't have – I feel like the people who have the gigantic RVs and they're pulling the car behind, like they've got – I mean, I'm sure that's insanely expensive. But they have something figured (laughs) out where it's like you find your place and then you take your car off. But, yeah, the cross-country drive with the dogs is – it's hard. And, I mean, there are plenty of Airbnbs and places to stay. But I think the hardest Mm -hmm. thing for me was finding places to run the dog.
2: Yeah, to stop Um, on the way.
0: Because, you know, like we, we stopped in Salt Lake City and it was a nice little place, but it's very like urban environment. And so then you're spending, at least we were, spending the evening like driving around town, looking at Onyx, trying to find little parks. And I feel like that's the part that, um, that's the part that's most challenging. But you said you're going to spend about two weeks getting from the East Coast to New Mexico. Is that right?
1: No, the trip will be two weeks total. Oh, okay. So it'll probably take, I think it's going to take us six days to get out okay. there. We'll be there for about five-ish days and then it'll be like five days to get back nice um but yes i agree i am doing research ahead of time to make sure we have places to run zara because
2: yeah she needs exercise (laughs) we also found a few spots on all trails i know it's not like the you know best spot or best app for that but it was you know relatively easy to find stuff from there
0: and what i found more useful is on x because you see these like big gigantic plots of land that might be available and i think that more so than trails just sort of like big areas was really useful for us i mean if you're making that huge trip you know basically across the country i guess why did you decide to do that and why do you feel like that was you know that is an object is that an objective you had for a while Have you been working for this for years how did you make the decision to go for this big trip
1: Yeah, so that's, um, I guess, a little bit of a story. So, I mean, um, when we first got a Vishla, we had no interest in hunting and had, you know, I never thought I'd be doing any of this. Zara, for the first two years of her life, even the first four years of her life, was really a pet and a companion, a running partner. So I entered her in a junior hunter test when she was two years old because my breeder suggested it. And she had seen quail a couple of times, but, you know, showed minimal interest, nothing impressive, and then ended up doing really well at this hunt test. And that's kind of was the catalyst to getting me into this. And I was really like, oh, this is kind of cool. I should really, you know, this dog is pretty impressive. I should really give her a chance to, you know, fulfill her natural instincts. And it took me a long time to figure out a place to train her and what to do for the next level. So I stumbled into NAVDA and I ended up joining, joining NAVDA in September of 2017, so five years ago. And at that point, I I was very concentrated on wanting to do field trials because my breeder did field trials, and I didn't I didn't know, I knew nothing about NAVDA. Um, I just was like, oh, field trials are the way to go, right? So NAVDA has um, much more involved tests that include water work and a lot of retrieving, and that was like, oh, I don't want any to do with any of this. This just seems like way too much work. So. I spent you know, the first two years of NAVDA training, trying to get Zara to be steady in the field with, with you know, varying success. And eventually I did decide to teach her to retrieve um, because I started to understand the importance of that. So I finally did kind of get sucked into the NAVDA way. And, you know, everyone was so nice and helpful. And I entered her in her first NAVDA test in 2019, their, their utility test. And she actually failed the test. Um, and then we tested again in 2020, and she got a prize two. And just briefly, NAVDA's utility tests, which is for finished dogs, you can either fail, get a prize one, two, or three, and a prize one is the best. And if you get a prize one, you qualify for the invitational. So in 2020, she got a prize two. Um, and I had been really hoping for a prize one, so that was upsetting, um, even though a prize two is a very impressive accomplishment, <laughs> especially for a dog that didn't... Um, really start out hunting so you know in 2021 last year I was like okay I'm gonna give it one more go to try to get this prize won. so I put in a lot of work last summer and it was mostly in an event called duck search uh, which involves they put a live duck with the flight feathers pulled so it can't get away in a big swamp and your dog you send it um, on one command it needs to go out and basically search the swamp for the duck very independently and that was something we'd really struggled with because Zara wasn't around ducks as a young dog. And I had done a lot of stuff where, you know, it was very much about cooperation, getting her to stay close to me. So it was having her expand out into that swamp was just a lot of, it just took a lot to get her there, but finally she seemed to get it. And last year we got our prize one in the utility tests last fall, and that qualified us for the 2022 invitational. So Um, I knew if we got the prize one, we were going to go just because, you know, it's something I had really been working on for several years. And, you know, that was my one chance. So I was, um, definitely knew that I was going to go, even though it was in New Mexico, um, in previous years, it's been held in Iowa or Ohio, which are Mm. obviously a lot closer to me, (laughs) but you know, it's okay. You can, the way it works is the year you qualify the year ahead, you qualify, you know, you can't, you can't defer it or anything, um, There was a little bit of that with COVID, but this year, it was last year. If you qualified, you're going to New Mexico. So that was not my goal initially. Like I said, when I first started out, um, even when I joined NAVDA, but within the past couple of years, it did become a goal. So I am very excited to go. And I feel very honored to have the opportunity to go because I, for a long time, I didn't think we were going to be able to get there. I just didn't think that she had what she or I have what it took to get that prize won. So yeah I'm really excited, and we've been training our butts off this summer,
0: <laughs> yeah so like I mean, like you said, after all that work, I mean if you're invited, you gotta go yeah, you
1: gotta go. gotta go right yeah it's it's and you know this time, so the Invitational is pass fail um and if she doesn't pass, we're not gonna go again. this is our last this is yeah. this is the only time we're gonna try it
0: <laughs> and you mentioned just to go back a bit to kind of closer to your start, you mentioned that you took um her to a hunt test, and she did really well. Like, what did you see where you were like, oh, this dog, like, like what, when you say that, like, you saw enough to keep you going, like, what did you see that first time out?
1: Yeah. So before the hunt tests, I had met up with my breeder and, um, the first time was when Zara was about 13 months and we put out some quail. We went to like a, a wildlife management area with, um, we actually had Zara's mother there and who is a field trial dog. And we put Zara out with her and, you know, just kind of planted a quail and let Zara loose to see what she'd do. And, um, she, she kind of, I think she found the bird pretty quickly, but she was very, she was actually scared of the birds at first. Like she was like, she didn't really point. She was kind of like, you know, kind of creeping up on them a little hesitant. Like her tail was down or maybe it was wagging. I don't know. It was not staunch. Um, and she just didn't really know what to do. It was it was not like a, you know, all of a sudden she like slammed on point or something. Yeah. <laughs> um, and, you know, she, I'd done a lot of like, by that point, I'd done a lot of off-leash like running with her. Um, I mean, like, you know, hiking or like having her in fields. So like her recall was good and she was used to kind of being, you know, off-leash around me, but I wouldn't say she was really hunting or anything. So we did that twice. And in both of those sessions, it was not like... You know, it seemed cool, I guess, but it was, there was nothing mind blowing about it. It was like, OK, she's kind of off leash in this field, which is great because now she's tired. But yeah, <laughs> I wasn't yeah. I, I wasn't like, oh, I'm going to do this for the rest of my life now. Um, and then we actually when she was two. So by that point, um, she was aged out of derby um, and puppy for field trials. But there was a field trial near us that had an irregular stake called a hunter's stake. And that was for any dog of any age who didn't have any placements or anything. So she could enter that even though she was over two. And at that test, I let her loose and she kind of ran or puttered around for a bit. And then she found a bird. And when I flushed it and shot my blank pistol and it went up in the air, it was like a light bulb went off. Like she all of a sudden was like, oh, my God, and just like took off after that. So that was kind of the moment it was like, oh. This is what, you know, this is what it's all about. And then when I took her to the hunt test, which was like maybe a month later, she was just on fire. Like she just took off. She was running her and her brace mate, who was an older Vishla, um, who was doing actually her junior hunter advanced title at the time. They were just kind of hunting together. Like they were not really listening to us <laughs> per se, but they were just cutting the course and like going, um, you know, just finding birds like left and right. And the judges afterwards, you know, um, actually the judge who one of the judges who judged me knew the owner of Zara's sire and actually called her afterwards and said he was so impressed with Zara because she was hunting um, what, you know, hunting objectives like a field trial dog. Like she was just knew what to do, even though, you know, I clearly looked like I had no idea what I was doing. <laughs> <laughs> um, so she got. 10 out of 10 scores, perfect scores, which, um, is nice, you know, pretty unusual yeah. or I was told, you know, I, I had no idea obviously. Um, but just seeing that it, and, and, and everyone's reaction to it, everyone like, Oh my God, who's, who's this dog? Who's your breeder? Like, where, what are you doing here? And I was like, I don't know. We're just here to have fun. <laughs> um, so, you know, she got a pass that day and the next day was the same. She got 10 out of 10 the same next day. Um, and then we, a couple months went by and then the next hunt test she finished the title um that day the the quail weren't flying and one was kind of she was end up playing with it a little bit so I think we got docked on trainability a little bit there but by that point you know it was just very clear like oh she has the genetics for it and like she's you know she could really do this she could really be good at this so that's why I was kind of like okay I I feel like I need to give her the chance
0: Yeah, that's that's like an awesome, you know, it's awesome that you sort of like locked in once you saw that the dog had some potential. And I think that the genetics piece is something that, you know, I think for people who are new to this, even people who've been doing it for a while, sometimes the genetics talk can kind of like bring you down, but other times it can bring you up and you want to have this feeling that, like you want people to say like, your dog is born for this. But then if someone's like, I don't know if your dog wants to do this, then i think that can be sort of like disappointing right where like you so you get into it and you go to your first few events whether they're hunt tests or trials or whatever and you're like okay we're gonna train to improve and you have this like growth mindset but then the wrong person Mm -hmm. or the right person is like oh you know either they're they want to do this or they're built to do this or they're not and then it's like okay well that sort of like takes a little bit of the wind out of my sails you know because i thought we could train hard and we can get to the top of the sport but sometimes you can't but i think like in your case you know the evidence is there and it's like listen this dog can be great so you know you should jump along for the ride and i think that's how and i, I think our situation has been similar in some ways because you know mm-hmm. we got the dog and we didn't really have any clear plans you know the versatile vishla and we were gonna you know I, I remember like doing so many of those um this is a whole different episode but you know talking to breeders and you're like oh you know we live a very mm-hmm. active lifestyle and we hike every day and we, you know, we do all of these things and we da, da 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 da. So we were just planning to do kind of whatever. But then the dog seemed to like, you know, the birds and the hunting piece. And we're like, all right, well, we'll go in this direction. And, you know, we got yeah. a few ribbons the first few times and it's like, oh, like he likes this and we like this. And I think that helps us to, that helped us to sort of like pick up momentum in that early stage. And so I think that. You know, the natural instinct is enough, even if you're not sure about the sport, because I think that we were the same. Like, I mean, would you say that we had any interest in hunting or anything before we got the dog? Oh, no,
2: absolutely not. Um, And it just, (laughs) (laughs) you know, it just was so beautiful to see the dog enjoying himself and, you know, watching kind of. Yeah, exactly what you're saying with Zara, like when you got out there and just seeing how her interest was you know, um, she was inspired and interested in the birds and really putting in work. Um, I think that was when I saw Ridge working and like doing his job of hunting, I just was really pretty impressed. (laughs) just was really nice. Yeah,
1: definitely. I kind of think back and I'm like, it it, would have been, I wonder what it would have been like if I you know, maybe had gotten Zara and, and had her on birds when she was a lot younger. Like, say I had try, tried to do a junior hunter test or a field trial when she was six months old. Like, what have that? What would that have looked like? Because her, after, after the fact, um, her breeder and the breeder of her um, grandmother said that, you know, oh, her grandmother actually was kind of like a little bit slow to mature too with the bird. She didn't quite have it, you know, yeah. when she was younger, but And I think you hear that in visual sometimes too. They mature slowly. So, you know, that's not always a bad thing to wait a little bit depending on the dog.
0: Well, yeah, I think that's such an interesting question because we hear the same thing too. And, you know, Ridge is at a point now where he's between one and two years old. He, and during his trial season, he caught a couple of birds that weren't flying well. And... Mm -hmm you know, some of the advice that we've gotten at this point is sort of like, you know, for your next dog, you know, no juvenile stakes. I mean, you could do sort of like puppy on a clean course on the first day of the weekend, but you know, no Mm -hmm. Derby, stay at a Derby, you pick up these bad habits. And there's a lot of discussion about sort of like, you know, like if you start your dog right, you can get so much further. But then that ties back into like the instinct and genetics piece where it's like, you know, thinking about your dog, like if the dog's got it, maybe the dog's got it. Right. And so it's i think you don't want to beat yourself up over like you know not knowing something earlier in their life because if the dog has that instinct then it's not going to go away and so it's kind of you know kind of to your point like what it what would the value have been of starting early i mean i think that you know you mentioned that your first time you sort of didn't really know what was going on and so like maybe that's the benefit there is that as the handler you sort of know what's going on a bit more and you have time. And that's advice we've also gotten to is, you know, showing your dog or handling your dog in those juvenile stakes when, you know, everyone's sort of trying to figure it out together. It's maybe a little bit less stressful than you get out there and you're on the broke dog course and there's so much right. more to do. And yeah. so it's that that's been the, the tension I think that we've been dealing with is sort of like we need to learn the game. So we, and we have a dog. So if we're Mm going to learn, we need to be out there with him. And if he stays home, then we stay home and then we don't, we're not learning to handle. And so I think that's kind of the give and take as you're trying to move through this whole thing.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I think it's, yeah. Especially with your first dog, it's like, it's a lot different than your second dog. Right. (laughs) I'm sure. I mean, I don't even have a second, you know, trial dog yet, but Gosh, and I mean, in regards to getting discouraged with making mistakes, I feel like I've made every mistake in the book. <laughs> but yeah, us too. somehow, Sarah has recovered, you know? And, and that's been really, like, interesting and awesome, you know, that she has been able to, because there are certainly times when I'm like, I, I, you know, there's no way we can get past this. <laughs>
2: like Totally, like, I, are we you know, going to recover it, from this?
1: <laughs> right, and it's, it's very discouraging, but, you know, I have seen – you know, and maybe this goes back to genetics or I don't know, maybe she's just a good special dog, but, um, you know, like in regards to retrieving, she, you know, as a puppy now, like if I got a puppy now, I'd be encouraging that puppy to carry everything around. You know, if it grabs my sock, I'd be like, good girl. Okay. Here, take this treat. But you know, we'd be like, drop it, drop (laughs) it. Don't touch that. Don't touch that. I mean, so by the time it, 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 we got to her like actually shooting birds over her, which wasn't until she was probably about four, but she had zero interest in retrieving. I mean, she would not retrieve a bird. She would not put, pick up a bird. Um, so that took a lot to
2: get over, but I did. And now she loves retrieving. I mean, like, oh yeah. just obsessed with it. You've been working so much on the retrieving and Recently, I saw this week that you kind of accomplished like a pretty long distance retrieve, Um, (laughs) right? And this like blind work that you've been working on. Would Mm -hmm. you mind just talking about that for a few moments? Yeah, sure. So um,
1: part of the invitational is what they call the blind retrieve. So you have a body of water that's more like a river style, so not something you can run the bank to the other side it's about a hundred yards across and on the opposite shore, there's a dead duck that has been kind of dipped in the water and drug up the bank, you know, maybe 10 or 20 yards and you start on the opposite side of the shore from the duck. So the point of this, all of NAVDA is based on hunting situations. So say you were out hunting, you shot a duck, it kind of crawled up the bank and died and then your dog didn't see it fall. So you have to kind of direct your dog to go get this duck. So maybe you can see it as the hunter. So at the invitational, you bring your dog up, you know, you know where the duck isn't generally straight across your dog does not hear a shot. You're supposed to give your dog one command. You kind of line them up. You give a command. Most people use the command back and your dog's supposed to cross that water a hundred yards, get that duck in its mouth, come back to you. Um, you. You can direct it a little bit. If it gets kind of lost, give it some, some, uh, extra commands if needed, but you really just, you ideally, you want the dog to go out on your first command, come back. So that's obviously, you know, takes a lot of training. Um, so the foundation work for that is a good retrieve in general. So for me, when Zara was about five, that's when I taught her to retrieve. Um, and a lot of people use different methods. Um, you know, you hear a lot about force fetch, there's different methods that people use. I, I use a method with, um, clickers and treats to start and then I overlaid with the e-collar to enforce it so I spent probably nine months to a year doing that just because I was taking it really slow Um, and once that was solid uh, and we did I guess we did some blind work with it but after you have a solid retrieve then you can move on to um, training for a blind retrieve where um, you know you kind of start lining your dog up in the direction you wanted to go so people do drills where they they call them like wagon wheels. So you put out say four bumpers kind of in, you're in the middle, like in a wheel and you take your dog up and you line them up and send them for a specific one. So the one straight in front of you, you don't want them one going to the one to the right of you, for example. Um, So they kind of get used to taking that direction from you. Like you use your hand to direct them. Right. Right. So then I used um, I, I did started doing land blinds where I, there's different methods to do this too, but I used a white pole where I was sending her to a white pole. Um, I would put out stuff bumpers. She didn't see them, but she could see the white pole and I would start sending her from a distance. And then I started doing it along a fence line. So the longer distance, the fence was kind of to help her, you know, a guideline of where to go. So I got out to about 120 yards. Um, and then we eventually moved away from the fence, um, and sending towards an objective, like a tree or something. And this was, you know, there was definitely some struggles in there. (laughs) Um, You know, she wouldn't always go out straight or I'd have to call her back or, you know, it was a little bit of a, you know, um, a process. And then eventually about a month ago, we transitioned to water. So I had someone, the way I did it, again, there's lots of different ways to do it. I had someone on the opposite shore show her the, the bumper and then hide. And then I sent her. And she went across. Um, I think the first one, she needed a little bit of help. But um, then the next one, you know, there was nobody. There's somebody over there hiding, but there was no visual for her. I just sent her across, gave her the command. And um, so last weekend, I did a 70-yard blind in a new location. And she did it perfectly. She went right across the water, got the duck, smelled it, came right back. Um, So that was pretty awesome. It's definitely still a work in progress because I did – an 88 yard line today and she did not want to go right away. I had to give her a couple of commands, but she did end up going eventually. So um, it's getting in those corrections is helpful too, so that you can, you know, know what you need to do if she doesn't do it right at the test.
0: It seems like the, the focus on the retrieve is one of the biggest differences between the NAVDA stuff and the hunt test stuff and the field trial piece, because You know, we've been to trials where there's some real, like, big running dogs who, you know, dogs who know how to hunt, know how to work, and then they do the Mm -hmm. callback for the retrieve, and people have a hard time. You know, like, this is, you know, this is a stake with 16 dogs, and these are the top four, and two out of the Mm -hmm. top four, it's kind of like, come on, buddy, come on. Like, they're clapping, and they're just (laughs) like, please, please, please. And I think that for NAVDA folks, it's like, they start the dogs – you know working on the retrieve so much earlier in life that i don't you can't really get to be like a top dog in that game being 4 years old and still kind of like i mean when i say 4 years old i mean like a dog who's been doing this for a while you know it's just right. like this is your third season of trials or second season of trials and you still don't have a retrieve it just seems like it's not quite the priority um that it is in navda
1: oh yeah i've definitely seen that retrieve cuz in navda there's you know, there's so much retrieving. You're retrieving birds in the field. You're retrieving dead ducks. You're retrieving possibly live ducks. Uh, so yeah, it's, you cannot get a good score in NAVDA without a good retrieve. And NAVDA is very much like fetch and that's it. Like there's no, come on here, fetch, sure. no, fetch, fetch, fetch. <laughs> come here, Zara, come here. <laughs> um, so yeah, and I think that has helped us in field trials because some of the stakes that we've placed in um have been retrieving stakes and I know for a fact that some of the reasons we've you know done well is because of the retrieving so like at one one trial I was at um this spring we had a call back and they shot the bird or they missed the first bird then they put out another one they shot that bird but the guy like it took him like two shots to to get the bird it was way far away probably not even completely dead um you know but I knew for sure Czar could get it, so I sent her to retrieve it. She came right back with it. And, you know, I like I thought, okay, this is just a normal retrieve, right? And afterwards, everyone was like, oh, my God, that retrieve was so good. And I was like, <laughs> really? Like, <laughs> that was just a normal retrieve. But I guess because it was kind of far and the bird was not dead and then, you know, there's only one command, people were impressed. So
0: Yeah, and, and we've heard around here that, you know, from folks who run trials that when you, when you make it a retrieving stake – you know, the numbers of people who are willing to enter, it drops by like 30 or 40 percent because people are just not willing to do it. And so it just seemed like, you know, when I saw that happening, you know, last year, I sort of resolved to like, OK, you know, when we're doing these broad dog stakes with this young dog, like we're going to make sure our retrieve is there. But it's sometimes it can feel like a, a completely kind of like separate path, you know, with like just trying to get your dog steady is is enough work and so it's i understand why people oh, yeah. who, who only do field trials are like yeah i'll get to it when i get to it but um but yeah it's 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 really hard but i mean i don't think that you can you know if the the goal here in all these sports to some degree is to like mimic hunting situations if you got a dog mm-hmm. who's not going to bring back the bird or a dog who brings back a bird that's like half chewed up and like half eaten like right. that's not what you want and so it's you know, it's a part of it, but that's kind of the, the topper of the whole thing.
1: I think it's, yeah, I, I agree. I think it's, you know, some people, if you just got your dog steady, they might only enter them in non-retrieving stakes for the even the first year or so. Right. Cause yeah. there's also, a, I've found a big difference when a blank pistol goes off, like my dog's like, Oh, that bird's not shot. I don't need to go get that bird. Whereas <laughs> yeah. if a shotgun goes off, she's like, okay, where's the bird? I want it now. <laughs> um, so, totally. so it's definitely, there's definitely less, you know, I guess e- it's, you know, easier to kind of pass or, you know, not get picked up in a non-retrieving state than it is in a retrieving one.
0: So we talked about NAVDA and Hunt test and field trials, and we also talked about sort of, you know, handler experience is a really big part of, you know, being successful in all these different spaces. How do you feel like, Playing these sort of three different games that have some things that overlap and some things that don't. Do you feel like that's accelerated your development as a handler, or are they so separate that it's sort of like when I have my Navda head on, that's all I think about when I'm doing trials. That's completely separate.
1: No, there's for sure overlap, and I think like for Navda, for example, you really only if you only have one dog, you're really only testing a Navda test probably once a year, maybe twice a year max. So you really don't get a ton of handling experience at a test. And for me, I feel totally different at a test or a trial than I do on a training day. Like at a training day, I'm like, oh, I'm out here for fun at a test. I'm like, oh God, I'm so nervous. (laughs) I don't know if I could do this. Um, So I think it's been helpful for me, for example, like all last season I ran field trials. So now going into the invitational I'm not like, oh, I haven't handled ZAR in a year. I'm like, okay, I have did a b- bunch of trials. Like, I know, I know I'm going to be nervous. I know I'm going to feel like I'm going to throw up. <laughs> it's, it's all part of the process. Um, so that has been helpful for sure, yeah.
0: In terms of your, your trial and work, like how were you thinking about trials at the beginning of the season? And now that you've been through that last one, sort of what are your goals going forward um, focused specifically on trials?
1: So um, at the, at, in March of 2021, um, Zara and I did her first field trials. Uh, we uh, were able to enter the Vichla Club of America's National Gundog Championship because it was held very close to my house. So in preparation for that, we ran a trial on the same grounds a couple weeks before to prepare for it. Um, so that was really only my spring 2021 season. Um, and I, I really just entered that championship kind of on a whim, but, you know, just thinking, oh, you know, might as well. Some people encouraged me to do it. I thought, you know, sure, let's try it. You know, she, but she had really never run field trials before. Uh, And that's a walking, that's a walking um, one hour retrieving stake. And she ended up doing really well um, at that trial. So after that people were like, oh, you should enter walking field trials in the fall. And I was like, sure, why not? So um, last fall, which was our first season, my goal was just really to have fun, to be honest. I mean, I, even though she had done well in the championship, like I really, I really didn't think that she could do well in horseback stakes with me walking. And I, at this point in my life, I just don't have the desire to get on a horse. I would want to take horseback riding lessons before I did. And I just haven't invested in that. So I was committed to walking, um, even though everyone was trying to get me to ride their horse. (laughs) Um, So my, you know, I didn't really, have any goals really besides just kind of fun. And then she actually was able to win and place in several stakes that were, excuse me, horseback and and I was walking. So after, you know, after our first, at the first trial, we actually got a placement and I was like, Oh, okay. I guess we are kind of in this game now. (laughs) So she, over the season accumulated multiple points. um, And so now going into this coming season, I mean, she'll be nine in October. So I think she, and I hope she still has another season at least. Um, But you never know health wise, she seems fine at this point, but I would love for her to finish her field championship title or her amateur field championship title. And I think she can um, if she stays healthy and everything, you know, goes okay. But you never know. I mean, it's obviously field trials. (laughs) you know, it's like kind of always a luck of the draw. Um, But yeah, that would be my goal would just be, to have another good season with her um you know maybe she has two more i don't know but um at least one more would be good
0: to be doing these things you know with with a dog that's a bit older um we talked about this before about how you know you wonder what things would be like if you'd done this earlier and i think that a lot of people again feel like they're in a rush to get these things done but i think your story is a nice reminder that you know you start when you start and there's still lots of fun and joy and success that can be had even if your dog isn't you know, I think sometimes I get caught up in this where, you know, I'm on Facebook and I see someone has like a dog who's 18 months and broke dog stakes. I'm like, oh, mm-hmm. man, only yeah. I had an 18 month <laughs> old dog who's in broke dog stakes. But it's that piece about, you know, the pace at which you develop is based on your dog. But it's also more based on what you know and what you've been exposed to. And so like trying to trying to be patient with yourself, I think, is also a really critical part of keeping this fun.
1: Yeah, definitely. Um, and I, I often think about, well, you know, sometimes you see people with younger dogs and they're a field champion by the time they're two and a half and it's like, okay, well, what then? I mean, obviously you can keep competing, which is great thing about field trials. Um, and there are other titles to do and there's national championships to enter. And, you know, people certainly do that, but it's like, you know, sometimes you're in such a rush to get the end, but then when you get to the end, you're kind of like, Oh, okay, well now, like maybe it's not as satisfying. I don't know. Um, And I've also thought like, you know, I would like to get another visual at some point and just how different things will be with my next dog, because, you know, I'll have so many, I feel like, you know, even though I'll try not to, it's like, I'll have so many expectations on it. Like, well, you know, I, you know, I should be doing this then, or why isn't the dog, you know, I, I just think it's bizarre. It's just been so nice not to have expectations. Um, you know, or minimal expectations so that you're kind of, when she does well, it's like, wow, it's awesome. But it's a lot, a lot worse. Cause I've been in this situation too, where I've had high expectations and then it hasn't worked out. And that can be very hard. <laughs> yes.
0: Great. Well, we appreciate the time before we wrap up. I just want to talk a little bit about your blog, which is really great. You mentioned there's the specifically the post about, and you brought this to our attention, the post about walking in horseback trials and so obviously you're very thoughtful about this whole thing and i just want to talk for a minute about sort of why you started your blog and sort of you know how that thought process fits into your trialing season because i think we're going through the same thing too where we go through these experiences and then trying to sort of distill them down to something that's useful for other people it also helps us to sort of think about these things pretty differently i wonder if it's you know maybe the same for you in any way
1: Yeah. So I actually first started my blog when I first got Zara in December of 2013, and it was originally called Zara the (laughs) Vishla. And it was just about, you know, having a Vishla, my adventures with her, you know, just kind of, you know, her being a companion and my first puppy and whatnot. And I did that for several years. And then kind of when she was about you know five or six maybe you know I started kind of getting lazy with posting and there was a bit of a lull Mm -hmm. there um and then once I got more into you know the hunting stuff I kind of and and dog sports in general because I was doing stuff with Columbo at that point um I decided to kind of rebrand it and I branded it rebranded as the accidental bird dog because that's you know kind of so I was an accidental bird dog so I decided to kind of change it to focus more on obviously bird dog training and field trialing and hunt tests, but also just kind of dog sports and performance dogs in general. And yeah, I wanted to write posts, um, or I still want to write posts that I feel like that I want to read because I, I don't know, I'm, I definitely like Google everything. I do a lot of research. So, you know, you Google like field trials and there's like, you know, the AKC rule book and, you know, it's just very matter of fact stuff. There isn't a lot of from what I found, there aren't a lot of either blogs or articles about, you know, really kind of the details of like, you know, the personal, like, this is kind of what happened, like the really nitty gritty, like, you know, interesting stories and stuff. So that's kind of what I wanted to see. So that's what I started writing. And kind of some of my blog posts also take on more of like a kind of how to or tips type feel. So like, you know, walking in horseback trials, like, what do you need to do to, to do that? Like, you know, there are specific things you can do, like using a whistle. You can, you yourself should practice walking quickly on rough ground, like knowing the course ahead of time, having a good scout, like all these things. So those are the kind of posts that <clears throat> I like to write. Um, cause I hope that they are helping people and I've had definitely have people say that they found them helpful. So that's what I try to do.
0: Yeah, and I think they are super helpful. And I think to that point about like you know how you gather information, in field trials. A lot of it's just person to person, and I think that yeah. there's sometimes this this feeling that you know information about how to trial a dog. It's like you know grandma's grandma's famous secret recipe or something. You know, it's like you don't you, you don't want to tell people outside of your family, and it's like a family secret. And you know we don't we don't like spread this this out. And then you hear sort of like offhand advice about oh you know should never walk you know should never walk on horseback trials. it's not gonna work right. and if you hear that and you're like oh man like I don't have a horse I don't want to learn to be a horseman right now I guess I'm not yep. like and so and so that's why I think that for those like those Google folks a post like that's so helpful because you go to a trial someone says don't do it and you're like but I want to do it and then if there's a resource <laughs> that's like here here's that thing that they told you not to do, but actually you can't do it and you can't be successful. I feel like those kinds of posts sort of change people's directions and keep their minds open and flexible. And sometimes in field trials, that sort of flexibility and open perspective that can be lacking, unfortunately.
1: Yeah. And I think it maybe also has to do with um, like generational. So, mm-hmm. um, you know, I think you guys are, I don't know how exactly how old you are, but I think you're younger. <laughs> like I am, I'm about to turn 37 and, you know, you go to field trials and it's over here the average age is not in the nope, thirties. <laughs> um, de- definitely, def- not. De- definitely, a lo- definitely a lot older. So, you know, I think now people of our generation, you know, we do a lot more stuff online and um, we are willing to kind of share a lot more than maybe people were in the past. And, you know, obviously before the internet, you know, you couldn't do that, but um, that could be also why it's more like kind of word of mouth stuff.
0: Yeah. And, you know, there's a trainer that we work with and he says things to the effect all the time of like, you can't learn this on YouTube. Which is funny because at this point, you can learn most things on YouTube. You can learn, you know, how to yeah. deliver a baby, how to, you know, how to how to fix a wound, how to build a computer. Yeah. And so, but dog sports, like, no, no, no. Like, this is like the last thing that you can't learn on the Internet. Like, maybe that should change. And because also, to your point, you go to the trials and you know some trials are you know they're they're full and there's lots of dogs and every stake is full and they're barely fitting in before you know before sunset but other events Mm -hmm. you know they're sort of like oh man you know we wish you got a bigger turnout and you know we wanted to run a puppy and a derby but we couldn't so we're only running a derby Mm -hmm. and so it's like yeah i think we need more people and i think that your contribution through the blog is a really critical part of you know getting people out into the sport and that's what we're trying to do here so yeah we really appreciate your time today Thank you for joining us.
1: Yeah, it was awesome. Thank you so much for the opportunity. It was great to chat. Thanks.